Hello, fellow officials. Hey, I am referee Mark Fralick. Thanks for joining me today for episode 25 of the High School Basketball Referee with Mark Fralick podcast. You know, it's a busy time of year for basketball officials, at least in Ohio where I'm located. We're into the postseason tournament and some of the officials are working many nights a week and also on the boys side and on the girls side of things. But we did find time to talk to John Huber of Perrysburg, Ohio. John has been a basketball official for 32 years and has a couple of Final Four state tournaments under his belt. He is a member of the Northwest Ohio District Basketball Officials Association and the Wood County Basketball Officials Association. As usual, this podcast is possible each week because of the support from our major sponsor, PQ2 LLC, and its owner and fellow basketball official and friend, Matt Kearns. Please visit pq-2.com and learn more about PQ2 LLC. And if you would like to become a segment sponsor of this podcast, you can contact me at markfralick at hotmail.com. And be sure to hit the subscribe button to this podcast because once you do that, you'll receive a notification on your phone so you can receive an update on your device whenever a new episode appears. You can also give this podcast a rating to let us know how we're doing, and I would appreciate that. And finally, if you would want to consider a gift to support this podcast, I would appreciate that very much. All you have to do is go to anchor.fm backslash mark dash Freilich and click on the support button. Once you make a one-time gift, uh, you can, uh, once you decide to make a one-time gift, you can utilize the various monthly options. And I thank you very much in advance for that gift. And now it is on to episode 25. Enjoy the show. So welcome to the podcast and uh, today's guest, uh, you know, I've, I've taken a couple of weeks off because my schedule has been quite busy um, with, uh, with, with tournament games. And so I'm excited to have John uh, with me today. And uh, John, it's, it's always good to have someone that you're familiar with, but also uh, someone who's a very good official on the show. So thanks, thanks for taking the time to, to be on the show. Uh, no problem, Mark. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So before we get to the pregame, we like to uh, talk about a few things. And uh, right now, John, you're the only official that I know, and maybe there are other ones around, but you're the only one that I know that, that wears goggles and gloves, but no mask on the floor due to, due to COVID. So uh, a lot of people, I, I think from what I've heard anyways, a lot of people talk about, about that and uh, kind of give us your, you work in the medical field. Uh, kind of give us uh, why you started to do that. Sure. You know, and that's, it's exactly right. I do work in healthcare. And so I've seen, you know, firsthand what this, this scary, deadly disease COVID can do. And, um, and I have personal issue with it, issue as well as my mom passed from it uh, last summer as, mm. as well. So, you know, seeing it firsthand from that, seeing it firsthand, you know, from where I work, um, I tried to figure out what I could do to pr- help protect me, protect my family, while still being able to officiate, you know, hopefully protect, you know, players, coaches, fans, people around me. Um, I did try, um, I do the goggles and the mask, um, but I did try to, I'm sorry, the goggles and the gloves. I did try to use the mask in some scrimmages early on, and, and I don't know if uh, you or if any of your listeners um, have tried that. Um, it's just, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, kind of continue to move, uh, breathe and, you know, focus and officiate with a mask on. I just, I wasn't able to do it. I'm sure there are, there are, you know, men and women out there that have been able to, and, you know, and I know they're doing it in Michigan. It's a requirement up in the state of Michigan that they reopened that their officials and players have to, um, to wear a mask, but it just wasn't comfortable. It just didn't, it didn't work for me. Um, and so the goggles and the gloves were easy things I could do again to help protect myself, protect my, protect my family and, and the people around me. Have you heard comments throughout the games that you've been to at all? 
You know, I was just talking about that with some of my fellow officials um, last week. And, you know, for the first two-thirds of the season, I didn't hear one thing. I was fully expecting to, you know, hear the, you know, you know, four eyes or, you know, take your goggles off so you can see better, whatever it might be. Um, but here are the last couple of weeks of the season and into the tournament. Um, I've heard, you know, a few comments about the goggles. Um, nothing – you know, nothing I wouldn't expect, nothing of course I can't handle. Um, but you know, I know it's it's how it's meant, and so I take it in that fashion as well. So, um, but yeah, so if, actually fewer fewer comments than I would I would have expected. Because uh, you're right, I don't see um, very many other officials that that do that. I haven't seen any with with goggles or gloves. I've seen a few trying to to wear a mask or a gaiter, but it's. It's um, not something a lot of people, uh, a lot of officials are, are doing at the moment. And so I know um, I kind of single, single myself out um, by doing it. But, um, you know, I want to take that extra, extra layer of protection if I can. Sure. So how's the season going? Uh, any special circumstances or anything that, that's happened that you'd like to talk about or just kind of give us an overall? Um, in Ohio, we are currently in the midst of boys. Uh, this, this week is boys' districts. And uh, I'm sorry, boys sectionals um, and uh, girls districts are this week. So uh, talk a little bit about your season. Yeah, so I, you know, in general, I thought the season's gone gone really well. It, it was a little different early on when we found out about you know what they were going to allow, the state was going to allow for attendance. Um, I was kind of worrisome. It was going to feel every every game was going to feel like a scrimmage, <laughs> uh, meaning there wasn't very many fans, and you were going to hear, you know everything everyone was saying but it hasn't been complete it hasn't been like that for the most part you know there's definitely with the fewer fans you do hear you do hear more of the comments coming from the fans whereas before um it tends to get kind of just drowned out and all the background noise but um but you know the season's gone well i thought the play the play has been you know fairly decent um all things considered because you know the kids just haven't had the chance to to practice and, and work at it like they have in, in prior years and you had you know a number of schools that lost weeks because of a um a covid uh, contact uh, or something like that and then you know of course you had lucas county which basically blocked out a month uh for most of the schools in lucas county and so the play has been the play has been good um you know and i haven't really seen you know anything kind of out of the ordinary that i wouldn't expect in a regular year other than you know just a lot fewer fans in the in the in the facility yeah no no doubt about that and and they're starting to pick up a little bit i've noticed uh, with the number of fans and that's been great uh, it's always good to see uh, as much as we talk about the fans and how much they can get on us it's always really nice to see the the stands uh, a little bit more full anyways and and i appreciate that so for the people who have not been familiar with this podcast we do break it up into several segments uh, we have a pregame, a first quarter, second quarter. We break for halftime, and we go to the third and fourth quarters before going to the postgame and the five quick decisions. Before we get into the pregame, we want to hear from our major sponsor, PQ2 LLC. Hey, Ref. If your day job requires engineering thermoplastics, connect with PQ2 LLC and have a thorough, candid, and honest pregame discussion about your next injection molding, extrusion, or blow molded project. Make the right call to PQ2 LLC. That's www.pq-2.com. So we begin the pregame, and this is a, a place just like in a basketball game where we meet up in the locker room and we kind of uh, learn a little bit about each other. So uh, we're going to do that here with you, John, in the pregame. The first thing is is that your dad, uh, Don, is a legendary coach up in Northwest Ohio. And uh, just so the listeners know, Don coached uh, 20 years from 72 to 91. I believe all those years were at Continental High School. And the gymnasium is currently uh, named after him. Uh, is that right? The, the gym is named after him? That's correct, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and he had, uh, uh, boy, just almost 300 wins in his career. He had 285 wins. He was named the Putnam County League Coach of the Year four times. He won five league titles, 10 sectionals, three districts, two regional championships, 
just a great career. So talk a little bit about uh, about Don and, and how he kind of maybe helped shape you as a basketball official. Yeah, so I think, you know, one thing, you know, especially for people maybe not listening from from the area that they that will maybe surprise some people is that, you know, my brothers and I, we didn't play for, for my dad. We didn't play for him at Continental. We actually lived in Holgate and played for Coach Paul Wayne. Um, and so, you know, we got kind of the, got probably the best of a couple of worlds and, you know, um, another legendary coach and Paul Wayne, mm-hmm. um, you know, working with us. And then, you know, my dad being able to work with us as well. And I think, you know, not playing for him probably was a good thing, I think, for all of us, just because, you know, there was never any pressure uh, on any of us to be to, a, to be so good or to a certain level or you know to have anything kind of basically be everything on our shoulders and so um just you know being able to watch him coach uh, versus having to play for him as a coach um you got to see things differently than what i would have if i was a player and um in another thing a lot of people will probably not know about my dad is that you know one of the things i picked up as an official um, that helped me as an official is in his 20 years plus of coaching, and he coached junior high and, and other levels before the varsity level, he never received one technical as a coach. Wow. Um, and so, you know, just, you know, the way, you know, his respect for the officials and how he was able to communicate with them, um, you know, just you're know, seeing that, you know, and just gave me, you know, a respect for officials and what they do. And, you know, again, you know, as a coach, I get to, I get to, I got to see how he was as a coach. And so I get to, you know, I get to view the world through their eyes as well. And so as an official, I know what they're going through. Um, You know, I've, you know, I lived it with him when he came home after practice, after games for, you know, 20 plus years when I was a kid. And so it's just, it was, it was just good to see kind of both sides of the equation and how that was. And so I'd really try to, to work with, with coaches and communicate with them again understand what they're going through and where they're coming from now i can't say that in my 32 years of officiating that i haven't given a coach a tee but um but they are usually pretty far and few between um and so it's just you know from that from that aspect of just being around him again as as a son watching him coach versus a son who is his who is my coach just i can could view things differently so you could have gone into the coaching world just like your dad, but instead you went into officiating. Talk a little bit about your journey into officiating. Yeah, so, um, you know, after I graduated high school, I headed down to Ohio State. And, um, of course, and I don't know if schools still have it, but back then we still had a we had a PE credit that we had to have. And so as a freshman, I took officiating basketball. I, mean, I was going through the directory and – tried to figure out what I wanted to take and that was something that popped out at me. Uh, good friend, Scott Budemeyer, uh, who was a year behind me in high school there at Hogate. Um, he was already doing some of that and while he was still in high school. And so had a little bit of a taste, you know, from being able to talk with him, how he liked it and what he did. And so thought, yeah, let's, let's do that. It keeps me in the game. Um, when you're going through college, it's, it's tough to, you know, to, to coach and there's some kids, you know, do, um, do figure out a way to do that. But, you know, for me, it was, you know, let's do the, the, do the, take the class and, um, you know, and actually, um, um, and I don't know Bo Ruggs official title with the OHSAA, but he was actually my instructor there at Ohio state. Um, and so took the class and then, you know, started officiating intramurals immediately, actually while I was even taking the class there at Ohio State, and um, just one thing led to another, stayed with it, and just, you know, kept going. And um, to the young kids, if there are any of the high school kids that are maybe listening to this, it's, you know, it's a great, um, it's a great part-time job, especially in the winter. Um, and um, for me, it was, it's great winter exercise. And the older I've gotten, I've got, uh, the better it is because it gives me an opportunity to exercise, whereas it's just tough here in Northwest Ohio, of course, to get out and, and to do much. And I like running. And so, um, um, but I don't like running on the treadmill that much, probably like a lot of people. It gets kind of boring. But, you know, when you're out on the basketball court, you know, four, five times a week, um, getting, you know, an hour, hour and 15 minutes of that that type of exercise in it it really helps and so 
um, I've, in, I've enjoyed it and um, just a, lots of benefits from it uh, for me at, at all ages. And when I was younger, you know, like I said, a good part-time job. Um, I was still in school, and as I've gotten older, um, you know, great exercise during the, the kind of the, the darker months of the year here in, in Northwest Ohio. So talk about your first varsity game that you remember. How long did it take you to get your first varsity game? And, and talk a little bit about uh, anything you remember from that game. So um, somewhat funny story with this. I actually don't remember my first varsity game. I know um, I was thinking about that uh, last week when you asked me to come on the podcast. And I, I just, I just, I can't, re- I, I never ever remembered it. But what I do remember is um, actually Scott Budemeyer and I were working a, a JV game um, at Sonora. We were both, I was in my fifth year. He was in his fourth year. And uh, Kurt Lehman, who was coaching out at Sonora at that time, hired us for our first varsity game um which was two years later um so i would have been in my seventh year when i got my when i when i had that game now i don't and i as i remember it wasn't the first ultimately didn't end up being the first varsity game that i did but it was the first varsity game that i got contracted for and i don't know why i don't remember the actual first game (laughs) but um but that was the first one i ever got contracted for i still remember that i still like it um, like it was yesterday that you know scott and i and and kirk's office and him you know giving us the dates and that what he would wanted us to work for him well you can't get a game from any better coach that's for sure and back then we had the <laughs> yep. paper contracts too so that <laughs> you know that yep. that's a, a quite a, it says quite a thing about what he saw from you two on the jv level which is uh, also a good lesson for the young uh, officials as well you know, early in your career, I think you probably learned a lot of lessons. So do you have maybe one lesson that you remember of maybe something happening in your uh, in your game or whatever, but uh, some lesson that you learned in officiating early in your career that really impacted you? Yeah, so I would say, you know, and it, it happened uh, my first couple, of, sometime in my first couple of years. But and and it's funny that we're in the the pregame of the program here. Is that you know, you know, never to underestimate the importance of a good pregame as an official, um, and even when you work with the same the same you know crew over and over which a lot of us end up doing working with the same set of guys and gals um you can kind of get a little complacent and as a young official um you know having just kind of taken the class and you know feeling like you know i know the rules and you know the things that come with that and, and maybe a little bit too cocky for my own good um you know ran into little situation in a, in a JV game and would have, would have handled, we would have handled it a lot better. Um, if we would have, um, had a, had a good pregame and discussed how we were going to deal with it. And it ended up, it was, we had the, one of the infamous blarges where I had a block and my partner had a charge. And, um, and so if we would have been normally, and it is one of the things to this day that we talk about, in our pregames, um, you know, what we're going to do in the, in that situation, if we have it, hopefully we don't have it, Hopefully we both just go up with um, you know closed fist and and don't signal when we've got multiple when we got double whistles. Um, but if it does happen, you know we've already pre kind of pre planned how we're going to deal with the situation when it occurs. And so um, you know again just a good good quality you know pregame is important. And and I know all of the instruct- instructors that I've had, whether it's been rules interpreters at you know if it's. Um, you know Scott Four or Greg Becker or other rule interpreters that I've had. You know that's always something that they preached as well. It's just a good pregame. Absolutely, and that's a good segue into the next question: Is what kind of things do you cover in your pregame? Yeah, so we go we go through situations like that. Um, we try to hit some of the. Um, not the funky rules, but you know the the exceptions. You know, ha- uh, over and back throw in type things like that. Um, just things that are um, that can be a little out of the ordinary. Um, just to make sure that we kind of keep them in our mind. They might not happen. They probably don't happen every game. They may only happen once or twice a year, but um, they're the things that we want to make sure that when they do happen, we're prepared for. Um, you know how we're gonna how we're gonna deal with the coaches. Um, you know, those, those types of things, talking to the players, um, just kind of getting ourselves in a mindset, um, of, of officiating the game. And then, you know, especially as the season goes on, we've run into some of those, um, 
less likely to occur uh, plays during the games. And so we like to go through uh, some of those plays, you know, things that are odd or don't happen as often. And, and um, just to make sure, you know, those are things that have occurred and how did we handle it? How, you know, and again, might not have worked with the, these guys or those guys during that specific game. So just bringing up those odd situations and being, being prepared to deal with them if they occur again. Sure. Well, that's the end of our pregame. We're going to head to the first quarter, but we'll be right back. Hey, ref, this is Matt Kearns with PQ2 LLC. Call me to discuss your next injection molded plastic resin buy. You'll realize it was a great call. We've been in the plastics business for over 40 years and are thrilled to work closely with world-class customers and best-in-class domestic and global suppliers. You can expect complete transparency through every step of your polymer sourcing process. This year marks my 34th year of officiating basketball in the state of Ohio, and I'm sending my best wishes to you for a safe, successful, and fun year on the hardwoods. Hey, ref, click on www.pq-2.com. The first quarter, we talk about coaches and communication. And uh, John, is there any specific encounter or examples with a coach that might help bring value to some of the the officials that are listening? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think, you know, maybe not, not specific um, encounters, but I think just in general, as I had mentioned, some of my, my background of my dad being a coach and being around him, um, I'm, I'm I'm trying to listen to the coaches. I know they've got, they've got a job to do. They're trying to get the most out of their kids. Um, and you know, they've got questions and concerns. And so I like to listen to them. I like the answer, um, you know, give them answers to their questions, um, you know, and try to try to keep everyone, you know, calm and, and focused on, focused on the game. And so, you know, again, just kind of continue, continually listening, and uh, working with the coaches um, as long as they'll as long as they'll let me know. Sometimes they reach a point where you know, they're they're yelling more than they're asking <laughs> questions, and and that's when they'll get a stop sign or or a bench warning or or, or I've had enough, and um, and so then that that brings that to an end until they've calmed down a little bit. But um, you know it takes a, it takes a while usually to get there. Um, never really had any kind of major issues with a with a coach as as i've mentioned earlier so um you know good for 32 years it seems to have worked for me um and you know that's just how i, I try to approach it approach it with them yeah so your philosophy on handling coaches uh, throughout the game or just kind of um <clears throat> kind of like having a, a good discussion with them and do you speak do you find yourself speaking to the coach during the game or is it uh, do you have any casual conversation or is it just strictly business or does it depend on the situation yeah i think it depends it depends on the situation and it depends on the coach um and i would say earlier on in my career um it was probably a little bit more conversation with with coaches and only from versus just straight professionalism um primarily because you know there's been a lot of a lot of turnover in coaches over the years and you know earlier in my career there were a lot of coaches who had been around 20 20 plus years and you grow you you get uh, relationships with them you grow those relationships and so you have that mutual respect um and so there tends to be a little bit more free-flowing conversation versus just kind of you know the normal or i shouldn't say normal but just basic professional i'm going to answer your questions and and kind of go from there um but you know with coaches with coaches that i know better and i have uh, relationships with um you know i'm talking to them i'm t- probably talking to them a little bit uh, a little bit more um because because i can because again they're gonna they know where i'm coming from and i know where they're coming from with coaches that uh, I don't know as well. It, 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 it's it's more it's more straight professional. Um, you know, I just don't I don't want that to go to go south too quickly. I know some I've seen instances where officials try to be a little bit too chummy with with coaches um, when they're out on the floor, and a lot of times it doesn't end up doesn't end up well. And so that's I try to keep a, you know a, a modicum of professionalism always, and then. Um, and especially with a, with coaches that I'm I'm not as familiar with. Any memorable teas that you've distributed? I know you said you ha- haven't given out many teas, 
But uh, any of them that really stand out to you that might have a, a good story with it? No, not really. I mean, I could, as I mentioned, I don't. I don't give many tees. Um, I probably didn't really. I didn't give a coach a tee until at least ten to fifteen years into my career, um, and I probably give less than a handful a year. Um, and so, you know, as you can imagine, if, if I'm giving them one, they definitely deserved it. Um, and so that's, it's usually, you know, something, uh, well, it's, al- it's always something that they've, they've said. Uh, and, and fortunately, um, uh, I've, I've never, co- I've never had to tee a coach for swearing. So that's one positive. So the coaches know that, you know, not, you know, to stay in check in that, um, it's, it's usually, um, where they've just questioned something um, a little bit, a little bit too often, um, and maybe a little bit too boisterous um, to have to deal with. And um, you know, one thing, uh, if there is one thing as an official that um, I and I have to check myself on it that I don't like is when um, the coach kind of gives you either that one or two hand kind of the swats or you know, mm-hmm. kind of like eh, you know, kind of like you know, ignoring you kind of a thing. And so I find that very disrespectful. And I've given a couple for that. Um, but you know, I know it's something that, that bothers me. So I also try to make sure that I, it, it's, it's legit at that time too. Absolutely. Who have been some of the more memorable coaches that you've had to deal with and not necessarily from a difficult standpoint, but some coaches that you have a lot of respect for. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, look near the top of the list is going to be, and, you know, again, with dad being in the, in the PCL Putnam County there, coach Kodakratz there that coached, um, you know, forever at, at Kaleida, mm-hmm. um, had the opportunity to work for him, uh, several times. And actually my first regional game was, uh, Kaleida was in that game. And so just, you know, the utmost respect for him. He's, um, he's always been respectful to me and my fellow officials when I've been around. There's no doubt that, you know, he's, he's passionate about the game, passionate about getting the most out of his players. Um, but I, I felt he always did it. He always did it the right way. And, um, you know, just always the utmost respect for him. Um, so as, as one, um, both of uh, Dave and Doug Krause, uh, you know, oh, again, yeah. you know, two great coaches here in the Northwest Ohio area that I've had the opportunity to work quite a bit for, um, you know, again, they, they, they've been around, they know the game, you know, their dad was a coach, so they understood, um, kind of what it was, what it was like, uh, from that aspect, come from a basketball family, if you will. So, you know, again, they, they're going to coach hard. Um, but you know, it's always, it's always out of uh, mutual respect when you're out there on the floor as an official. So I would say those are three, three that come to mind, you know, you know, played for Paul Wayne, um, actually in the last few years of when he wasn't at Hogan anymore, uh, officiated a couple of his games at this point when he was over at uh, and as over at Tenora um you know again just having played for him and now officiated for him you know just you know again mutual respect for for uh, the officials out there and there's no doubt again he's he's passionate and you know wants the most out of the game for him and the team um but again he you know respects the officials and you may get a little a little heated during the during the game but as soon as that game's over it's you know your best friends again kind of a scenario so that's you know again i'm and i'm i'm fine with that and i can i'm i can deal with that with coaches it's just if they if they take it personally um i try not to take anything personally that's where so you tend to run into issues yep well that is the end of our first quarter we're going to head to the second quarter but first matt kearns is going to tell you a little bit about pq2 llc Hey, ref, objectivity, integrity, and experience, all hallmarks of a quality basketball official. At PQ2 LLC, we bring those traits and an unmatched passion for our customers' successful plastic application by being a one-stop shop for thermoplastic resins. Visit our website at www.pq-2.com. Real needs practical solutions, and exponential results. PQ2 LLC. Our second quarter, we talk about players and communication. So, John, what can you tell us a little bit about what has worked for you in communicating with the players? Yeah, so I think, you know, know, another than this year, you know, 
and I know a number of officials might not like the captain's meetings, but I think it starts kind of starts there with the captains and setting expectations and and um, setting out kind of the role of the official and the player in that uh, in that meeting. And so, at least with the captains and that, you can you get that get the expectation set with you know probably the key leaders on on the team. To be quite honest, and are probably the better players who are going to have the ball most of the time too. So. Um, so I've, I've always made sure we had good good captains meetings um, right from the get go. Again, this year a little bit different since we're not doing it, but um, but yeah, but you know, hopefully, again next year we'll start those back up. Um, and then just during the game, you know, just you know, making sure that I'm communicating communicating with the players, helping talking them talk talk them out of. Uh, different situations, you know, especially in post play, always seems to be where it's um, tends to be the most uh, where I talk the most. Either if it's you know getting getting someone out of the key or getting someone's arm or or knee out of someone's back um, from a defensive perspective, something like that. Just you know trying to talk them out of making making that mistake and and hopefully you know moving the game um, away from that type of a. A game into where you get a little bit better flow and you know it's, it's never great when officials have to make a lot of calls and if we can talk them out of the, that, those types of things hand check is another great example where we try to talk to talk to the defense you know and they got a hand on the player try to talk them out of that especially early on um so you know again then if you run into it late you know you've you've warned them you know a few times and you know you don't feel bad about calling out that situation if they've if they've not learned if you've talked to them for you know three quarters or so then um it's t- probably time you're gonna have to call it you know every once in a while we have to deal with a difficult player in a game and and how do you handle that do you communicate with the player first or do you just take care of things no, I'm, I'm communicate. I'm communicating yep. with the player. I, you know, look, they're, these are these are high school kids, and um, you know they're passionate, and um, you know, and it's it's easy it's easy to lose their cool a little bit out there, and I get it. And so the first the first thing is, you know, unless it's a an egregious mistake, um, I'm talking to them, and I'm talking to them early, and I'm trying to trying to get them out of hurting their team. And you know, staying focused on the game, and you know, not letting them get themselves into trouble. Um, there are certain things, there are certain lines they can't cross, and when they do that, then we have to deal with it. But um, you know, up until that point, I, I'm just really trying to trying to talk them out of things and and get them get them focused on back focused on the on the game. And 99% of the time, I'm successful. You know, but there is that one percent of the time where you know there's a there's a kid that um, you know just is going to lose his cool a little bit too much, and um, we've got to deal with it as officials. Yeah, any examples of that uh, that you can recall that that might have happened where not only that they got out of control, but maybe you have an example of where speaking to one of the players really turned him around and, and helped. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, several examples and, you know, if, um, you know, a lot of times, um, not a lot of times, but, you know, a number of times, at least that come to come to mind, um, is they're a little bit after a great play, they're a little bit boisterous or a little bit animated. And, um, you really, I try to get, get on that right away because you really want to keep them away from, from any kind of, kind of look of taunting and and again if it's a if it's an egregious kind of taunt that they're getting in the the, the other kids the other team's face a little bit you know we got to deal with that right away but if they're just you know like on an and one where they just you know they get a little bit of screaming a little bit and maybe a little little i'll use the flex you know flexing a little bit i try to again you know depending on how 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 animated it is um, I really just try to talk them out of it and get them get them out of that situation because you just don't want to you don't want to have to tee a kid up for doing something for he had a good quality play and big play for his team and then he he hurts the team by by doing something like that where you have to where you have to tee him up and um, you know cause the team some issues so just you know and usually usually very very successful with dealing with that um, you know and and. And, and, and going, but it's, I'll be honest, it's been tougher as I've officiated longer. Um, you know, the game changes and, and kids see what happens at the college level, kids see what happens at the pro level. And so they try to imitate it at the high school level. And, um, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that stuff occurs, especially at the, at the professional level where they see, um, 
where they see players doing doing some of that stuff and and their favorite player does it so why can't i kind of mentality and you know we got to remind them that that's not the way we play high school basketball and um and again you know they're almost always accommodating and um and and get back to where they need to be yeah i agree with you i i think the the way they see things in the college and pro levels uh, definitely filters down to high school. I see it more this year with the animation of the players, uh, whether they're verbally talking to us or using the hand gestures. I see that much, much more this year than I think any other year. So it's been, uh, you're right, the older we get, the more of an adjustment <laughs> it is for us to, to deal with it because that's not how we were taught to play basketball. So. Uh, yep. Yeah. So it's halftime. We made it this far so far. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll head to the third and fourth quarters, followed by the postgame and the lighthearted five quick decisions. We'll be right back. Hey, ref, this is Matt Kearns, and I'm honored and proud that PQ2 LLC is sponsoring my very good friend and former co-official Mark Fralick and the High School Basketball Referee Podcast. I love plastics manufacturing and making things happen in the world of engineering, resin, distribution, and compounding. But come on, there's nothing like game night. A packed gym, the place is rocking, and we leave the floor knowing our crew gave the players and coaches our best, right? I truly hope you enjoy these podcasts, and thank you for your continued support of the High School Basketball Referee Podcast and PQ2 LLC. Tonight's tip, nobody came to see us officiate, so make sure the kids are the stars on game night. Welcome back for the third quarter. In the third quarter, we talk about officials, communications, crew dynamics. But before we get to the questions, Matt Kearns and PQ2 LLC want to tell you this. Hey, ref. Rule 1, Section A, Article 3, in the Project Management Rulebook says trusting your business partner gives you the best chance to launch your new plastics project application. Make PQ2 LLC part of your crew on your next thermoplastic resin application. Call 330-888-9448 and ask for our in-house basketball official and owner, Matt Kearns. Our third quarter, we talk about officials and their communication. And, uh, you know, one thing I I will say this, John, that uh, I had an official ask me if I could have uh, an official talk about uh, the C positioning, the L positioning, and the trail positioning. And and I know that's going to be a big topic, a long topic of conversation. But in, in looking at those three positions on the floor, have you seen any changes in officials over the years um, with how they move in those three positions? Um, you know, not, you know, not, not a lot. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, most officials, you know, the mechanics for the three man has stayed pretty consistent um, on where they want us, you know, stands, you know, where they, you know, how they want us to switch on fouls and so forth. But that that's that's fine. But during normal gameplay, I think um, I think it stayed pretty consistent. If, if anything, um, you know, one thing is, is I know. At least for myself, and I think we, the crews that I work with, um, is getting the lead. Uh, two things: getting the lead to not be um, not to be concerned about switching, get it you know going across uh, across as as appropriate. Um, I mean, keeping an eye on that. I know when we first started three man, you know, and I'll speak for myself primarily. Um, I probably didn't I probably didn't switch across as often as as I maybe I should, but as as been doing it longer um tend to do it more um and then also as the center i mean you know just focusing in on the center um and having a strong center i mean you know kind of back to one of your earlier questions on a pregame one of the things we always talk about in our pregame is making sure we have a strong center tonight and what we mean by that is just a good quality um off 
off ball primarily because the center is usually uh, off ball. But then when it is there and there's a play towards the bucket from the center side, just making sure the center's got that and um, and trying to make that call versus versus the lead having to call it from call it from across the key. Um, but those those are a couple couple areas that I think that I've seen kind of that might that have changed from the um, movement of the the sea the 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 uh, lead and the, the trail any advice that you would give to younger officials that want to move from the lower levels up to varsity yeah so I would say you know look and um and I and maybe it's a little tougher than when I first got in maybe when you first got in Mark because varsity was varsity was two man back then mm-hmm. and so um, you didn't have as many varsity officiating opportunities, so we kind of had to stay at JV longer. But I don't um, – that, bo- that didn't bother me. I look back, and I'm actually glad that it took me, you know, six, seven years to get to my first varsity game because you just ra- – you just the longer you can work um, and get into more situations, the better official you're going to be. And so, um, you know, I have seen officials who've tried to move up too quickly and – uh, um, you can tell that they've tried, that they're moved up too quickly, and it's just it's they have some difficulty, especially early on. So I would say, as a as a younger official or a new official, um, you know, don't be so worried about moving up to the varsity level in your, your second or third year. Um, you know, if it takes you four or five years or whatever it is, that's fine. Use that opportunity to, as you're working JV, junior high, freshman, um, to work on your game and 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 just get better and, and learn the game, learn the game better. Um, so that'd be that'd be one of the main things that I would I would talk to a younger or new official about. So this is the quarter where I like to have the guests answer questions from officials. So if if you have a question uh, for future officials. Uh, you, as listeners, can email me at markfralick at hotmail.com, and I'll include the question to a future official. So uh, while not from a listener, uh, I did find this question on the Crown Refs podcast and uh, also the Crown Refs TV on YouTube. If you haven't checked out either one of those, um, a very good podcast and, and TV on YouTube, uh, they talk mainly a lot with with college officials, and there's some pro officials that I've seen on there as well. But they uh, one of the questions that I saw was, "Do you sometimes allow coaches to manipulate your decision making?" What do you think? Boy, I hope not. But you know, look, I'm human. All officials are human, and so if you got a you got a a, a coach really getting on you, um, are you looking at something a little differently? Uh, you know, probably, um, I hope that's, I hope that's not the case. Um, I try not to let that be the case. Um, you know, you know, a lot of times, you know, I try to make sure that when that's, that's occurring, I'm trying to figure out why either why they're talking to me and asking questions about it specifically, or if they're, you know, if they're yelling, if you will, or a little bit louder, um, why that's the case and so and and then maybe there is something that i have missed or that we are we are not seeing and um so you know and maybe not manipulate it doesn't manipulate me but if focuses me to look at look at what they're asking about or questioning um to make sure that i agree with that assessment and if there's something there that that i've missed or that i think that the coach is right on then you know i'll adapt and i'll adjust during the game to that um just to make sure um, whether that's the way i call the game a little different or whether i'm talking talking to a kid and an example there would be you know we talked about a little bit earlier kind of the hand check situation um um i'm type of official i like to give the kid the one the kind of one hand size them up type of a hand check and that's about and that's it you know two on is an automatic and you know in between somewhat judgment on and so um if i've maybe allowed the hand check to be a little bit more than it should be and coaches are telling me that i'll i try to look at that and again as an example and see if that's something that i need to adjust on i'm i'm calling my game another area you see that in um and actually saw it in my tournament game on saturday night is when you got a you got a gr- got a great player on a team and and the other team is you know, face guarding them all over the court and in the, in the, in the players, the offensive players face the entire time. And so you want to make sure um, that that defensive, that that defensive player isn't getting away with anything. You know, they're allowed to be as close before without contact and, and, and be there and, and, and follow them around like a shadow the entire time. 
but when they start to do things like either hands-on or you know even you know hold you gotta you gotta be there and you gotta be able to call that and so um sometimes that's tough to see as officials because if those those players tend to go sometimes into blind spots and you don't always see that you don't see that play happen and so you know that coach coach will will remind you about that and ask you to look at that and so then uh, something that i'll then take a look at yeah and it's kind of interesting that you brought that up because we talk about officials in communication and and those are the exact situations when you have that face guarding uh where you might have uh, that really good offensive player maybe at the the baseline uh at the corner and uh, he's being face guarded back there you've got your uh, lead watching the post play you've got your trail possibly looking at the basketball at the top of the key and you've got your center official also um, taking a look at things on his side leaving that corner susceptible for something to happen really you've got to have eyes wide open and making sure that uh, uh, you're talking about that kind of thing as a crew correct yep Absolutely. That's a, that's the exact scenario I was thinking about when you talk about the, the player, especially as the C, when the player's down, when that play, that type of play is down in the corner, because um, you, your kind of primary responsibility, even though it's part of it, is more into kind of that weak side key area. And so you tend, your natural tendency is to, to focus on the play, you know, on that free throw line to baseline on that weak, though kind of the weak side um, primarily weak side uh, of there of the court, and so if that if that play is happening or kind of moves down into that corner um, on your side as a center, you know a lot of times it's tough to it's tough to always be looking at that and that. But unfortunately, that's where the action is, and you can run into some some scary situations. That, um, you know, if kids get a little bit too out of control on that, and unfortunately, I've seen that I've seen that happen um, both in games I've watched and games I've had, and so that's. Um, that's a, you know one of the one of the areas that you try to focus on, but you know you can't always can't always see that. Nope, right. Hey, that's the end of the third quarter. We're going to head to the fourth quarter, but first we're going to hear a little bit about PQ Two LLC, our major sponsor. Hey, ref! The fourth quarter is crunch time. With the outcome of the game in the balance, a hoops official's greatest assets are experience, knowledge and game management skills. And when that final buzzer sounds and we return to the locker room for our post-game debrief, we know we've done our best. When it comes to plastic resins, PQ2 LLC brings the same experience, knowledge, and management skills to every client engagement. Our observations are focused, our solutions are practical, and our results are exponential. Check us out at www pq-2.com to learn how we've earned our stripes. Our fourth quarter is just a variety of questions, and uh, the first one is always the same. John, it's uh, game's tied at 60. There's five seconds to go. Team A has the inbound underneath their own basket and has called the timeout. What are you and your partners going to be discussing during this timeout? Yeah, so of course, clock awareness, uh, making sure the clock's going to start uh, start on time, um, and then you know, depending on how quickly someone might score, uh, making sure that if there's a timeout, that we're getting that and getting someone on the clock, um, you know, and then just situational awareness. Where's the ball at? Um, you know, t- teams tend to do similar theme, t- similar things based on where the ball is going to uh, be taken um, inbounds. In this case, it's underneath the basket. So, um, you know, we were going to, you know, we're going to set up ourselves based on, based on that scenario. Um, And we'll talk about where we want to, who's going to focus on what and, um, you know, different, again, situational awareness about how we're going to deal with that, um, that situation. You know, you talked about with five seconds, you know, if it was, Point three or less, we talk about the tip versus being able to get a shot off mm-hmm. kind of scenario. If that was if that was in play here, um, you know, if the scoreboard has that capability, um, that'd be something else that we talk about as well. When you look at officiating, and, and you're in the medical field uh, professionally, but what do you gain from a, from officiating in your professional career? I think you know, just as I talked about, just you know, being you know, having to deal with. 
all different types of people and staying calm in in excitable situations, tense situations, um, you know, because we all are going to run into those situations in a professional career as well. And so, um, you know, again, just, you know, working with, you know, a very diverse group of of individuals on the court, um, all different ages um, and all different backgrounds, you know, and then, you know, very similar situation in my in my professional career as well. What's the scariest thing to happen to you on the court? Um, I would say, and I won't name the school, but um, back in my two-man days, uh, varsity game, um, we had a fan in the top row throw a water ball, water bottle at us. Wow. Um, kind of, and, and look, it missed, missed everybody, but you know, look, I don't, you don't want to, you don't want ever that to happen. Um, you know, not for yourself, but also more importantly for the players, because you know, look, they're they're probably aiming for one of one of the officials, but you know, there's with 12 or 13 of us out on the floor, very easy to hit one of the kids as well. And so you just don't, you just hate to see something like that. So uh, fortunately I've only seen that happen once while I was officiating, um, but still not, not a, not a good thing. And um, you know, when that plastic bottle hits the floor, you're not expecting it. It makes a pretty loud sound and kind of scares you quite a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Good thing. The person wasn't a pitcher. At least you hope they weren't a pitcher. <laughs> As, as you look at your career so far, uh, 32 years, um, there's probably a lot of games that you remember the most. Uh, I'm sure your state games would, would be uh, some of that. But what are some of the games that you remember most? Yeah, so uh, definitely my uh, my two, uh, two state games, 2013 uh, D3 final um, down in Columbus, and then 2018 at a D2 semifinal. Um, you know, just working at the shot. Um it's just it's a completely different experience than what you're used to working at especially um you know northwest ohio kid uh you don't work a lot of you know i don't work any college never have um so we don't work a lot of college floors and so you know any really any time you know i get the opportunity to work on a college floor whether it's bgsu university of toledo ohio state um you know, last year was going to have the opportunity. Kind of one of my bucket list facilities was going to had was going to have the opportunity before COVID to work down at University of Dayton mm-hmm. facility. Um, you know, that would have been, of course, one that would have remembered for a long, long time as well. Um, you know, that first regional game we talked about. You know, where I had coached Cordacrats and Kaleida. Um, you know, worked with uh, Jim Jordan and Kevin Catafias in that game um, as well. So you know, two two great other officials. Um, continue to work quite a bit with, you know, just, you know, those types of games, um, you know, and, um, you know, look, this is going to sound a little, maybe a little bit funny to some of our listeners, but as I, as I mentioned, I took the class at Ohio state and I worked intramurals and I got to work, I got to work some of the intramural championships down there are that winter, winter quarter. Um, and so I still, for whatever reason, I still remember working that and, and, um, having a lot of fun doing it and not making much money as a college kid, but, <laughs> but having a lot of fun doing it. And so, um, still, still remember that. So th- those would be some of the games, of course, that, that come to mind for me. Yeah, that's great. And I like the fact that you have a bucket list. I think a lot of officials have that bucket list of places that they would like to officiate. And I think that's, that's pretty cool. That is the end of our fourth quarter. We're going to head to the post game. We'll be right back. Hey, ref, good game. When a coach or player acknowledge your effort at the end of a contest, it can make the difference between a fun ride home or one where you're questioning every call you made in total silence. In business, it's no different. When the customer values your performance and takes the time to let you know, visit www.pq-2.com forward slash about to read customer testimonials and then call us at 330-888-9448 to discuss your next plastic application needs. Never ride home wondering if you made the right call. So in the post game, John, some of the best parts of officiating is that brotherhood and sisterhood of officiating. You mentioned it uh, with uh, with Kevin Catafias and and James Jordan, um, two quality officials and and two friends of yours, obviously. And I know you guys do work together um, quite a bit. But talk a little bit about that brother and sisterhood and and some of the uh, 
examples about how great it is and, and why you need that as an official? Yeah, so I mean, and you, know, you mentioned a couple, but there's there's a lot of great officials that I've I've worked with. Mark, you included in that in that list, and um, you know, look, and it's it, for me, it's pretty simple. On why it's great brotherhood or sisterhood is that you know, there's only you know, if, you know, talk about it from a varsity perspective. There's only there's only three people out there cheering for you when you're on the court during any any game you're there, and it's the three officials. Everybody else is, you know, if you're lucky, you're you're right 50 percent of the time. But even 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 when you're right, you're probably wrong. So to most of the most of the fans and so um you know just having to deal deal with that during games and you know hearing what we hear as officials um you know it's just it's important that we support and back up each other and um you know make sure that um we're helping helping each other along along the way and whether that's through camaraderie or whether that's through you know giving back you know we unfortunately we don't definitely don't get to do it this year with traveling with some of our jv officials but as the years have come on gone on um as you'll remember and other officials remember um when i was a jv official we used to run i used to ride with um with the varsity officials you know i had the opportunity to, several times to ride with the great terry uh terry weimer um great oh, yeah. college basketball official um who's worked several final four worked some jv for him todd von sassen who a lot of people will know he does college yep. college games now i used to ride with him him to games and um you know as a jv official and so just being able to you know be together as as a crew and and communicate and educate each other um you know and help especially helping the 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 new guys and gals out um you know that's that's always important and important and been important to me but unfortunately um you know we just don't get to do that as much um on the road anymore um you know we try to do it you know, at meetings, um, our rules meetings and things like that now, but, um, it's not, it's not the same, um, for sure, but, um, but we make the best, we make do the best we can. You know, you talk about, uh, writing together and, and communicating with other officials. What has been maybe the best advice that you recall receiving from an official? Uh, probably Todd Van Sassen once told me after, and this was, you know, back uh, probably my third or fourth year, uh, maybe even a little earlier, um, coming back from a St. Henry game, um, and, you know, back, you know, and, you know, and it's not that basketball is huge down there still, but I mean, the place was packed for the JV game. Probably, probably the, the most exciting environment. I, one of the most exciting environments I may have officiated in period, because as a JV official, you're just not expecting a facility to be jam packed to the rafters and then everybody going nuts you know, in a good way, cheering in a JV game. But, um, you know, best advice he gave that I remember was from him is sometimes the best call you made tonight was the call that you didn't make. And, um, so many hmm. times we go looking for things and, um, do we call something that's either not there or something that we, to be honest, should have passed on and that it didn't, it wouldn't have impacted the game, um, if we didn't make that call. And it just, it, it might be something that, that changes the flow of the game. And so that, that, that's, that's kind of it is, you know, again, the, the most important call could be the call you don't make. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, you know, as, as we get older, um, I think uh, conditioning and workouts become a little bit more important. Um, although as we get later in the season, uh, the body does um, take its toll. So what, uh, what kind of things do you do to uh, keep in condition? Uh, are there any kind of workouts that you do during the season or, or off season at all? Yeah, so as I mentioned early, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a runner. Um, I like to run. I don't don't say I'm fast or anything, but I like to I like to run, jog, and so off season, off season, I'm I'm out running three or four times a week, um, and then um, some during in, even off season, a little bit of light weight lifting, n- nothing. Um, nothing spectacular or anything like that, just mostly toning and stuff like that. But during, during the season, um, I move away, especially as I've gotten older, I move away from the running, um, you know, just the legs can't, can't take that, that beating. Um, and, and when you're officiating, you know, four or five times a week, sometimes six times a week, um, cardiovascular wise, you know, I, you know, you're in shape. I'm, I'm, I'm in shape pretty quickly at the beginning of the season, you know, from doing that. And so I'm not worried about it from a cardiovascular, but it's the stretching. It's, you know, some light, light weight lifting. It's, uh, it's the things that tend to go wrong on, on, on us older guys and gals, you know, hamstrings, 
uh, calves, um, Achilles type strains, things like that. And so, uh, more of a focus on, on stretching as, as I'm in the season, less on cardiovascular. Cause you know, again, I'm going to get that, get that during, um, during the game. Yeah, and, and as we know, uh, during the season, uh, you know, it really does take a toll on family life. Talk a little bit about your, uh, family and, and how you've been able to balance life between the home life and officiating life for 32 years and how it's been successful for you. Yeah, sure. And, you know, look, and, you know, you've got to have a great, you got to have a great spouse and I've, I've got a great spouse and, and she's always been, um, you know, happy for me and, and doing this and, and proud that proud of me for doing it and always supportive of it. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, having married a little bit later um, with with a, to a woman who already had some kids who were a little bit older, I didn't have to um, um, like a lot of families. Maybe I didn't have the kids coming up in the sports and and so forth. So it was probably a little easier for me um, in that uh, some of those family constraints weren't weren't there. Um, but you know, but it always been a willingness to adjust and adapt um, to what I need to. It was always if there's a conflict between family and a game. Game, you know the game the game the game got canceled I found a replacement kind of a thing and yeah. so um, and you know and I think most officials approach it like that and um, you know it's it's worked it's worked well for me um, you know, I think my wife as, as we've been married longer my wife likes it when I'm out she, she enjoys the free time at home um, you know pre-covid she'd travel with me once in a while um, you know just to kind of stay active in it and you know date night kind of a thing during the winter but um, um, during covid of course you know it's just it's just me um, and maybe my partners if we've if we're going to travel together but um, but, um, you know, look, just, you know, again, um, you know, family comes first and I've always viewed it that way. My parents have taught me that, you know, we're always, always take care of family and family first. And, um, you know, unfortunately we've been able to kind of coexist family and basketball. Absolutely. And when you come from a basketball family, I think your, your spouse, um, sees that and they kind of know what they're getting into. Um, when, when they look, when they look at, um, you know, being with me, you know, that's what they're going to get themselves into. Yep. Absolutely. That is the end of our post game. We're going to head to the five quick decisions. We'll be right back. Hey, Ref. PQ2 LLC is proud to be the thermoplastic resin company that dares to be different. Call Matt Kearns at 330-888-9448 and ask what makes PQ2 LLC different. Officials cite relationships within the community of basketball officials as a huge reason why we take the floor each game night, year after year. PQ2 LLC brings the same passion you have in the locker room to every client relationship we've built over the years. Well, finally, we're at the five quick decisions point, and we're going to hit five things here that I think are going to be good for you, John, to answer. The first one is, um, if there's one rule that you could change in high school basketball, what would it be? Um, gosh, one rule. Um, you know, I was, I'd probably, the more longer I've been around, I'd probably, I'd probably jump, drop the jump ball and just go to give it to the visitors and then go alternating, alternating possession. I don't think the jump ball um, necessarily brings that much to high school basketball. Um, you know, there's, it, you're going to get it, each team's going to get the ball at least a minimum of two times in that scenario. And so um, it just, you know, we know, during a jump ball, I know a lot of, a lot of officials, um, it, you know, we, we, what we watch for, um, but very rarely do we ever call anything there. And, you know, sometimes it's do we do we even see what, what has possibly occurred, like a quick tap from one of the jumpers or something like that. So, um, you know, that's probably one. I think it just make the game a little bit easier to start start the game off. Shouldn't we go back to the jump ball, though, when you and I played, where we had a jump ball and it would be it would be the little guy against the tall guy at the foul line? <laughs> yep, no, I remember those days, too, but I also remember those days officiating junior high, and that's all it seemed like we ended up doing was, was doing jump balls in the, in the, in the, in the free th- at the free throw lane. So. Right, right, and some of those were pretty tight quarters, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you have players out of bounds at the jump ball area circling the, uh, circling the foul line there. Uh, what do you think is the most misunderstood rule from fans and coaches? 
Uh, well, one of two. I think they both are kind of similar, or not similar, but both are kind of at the same same amount. So, of course, you got the block charge. Um, you know, I don't think fans necessarily understand that um, as well as I would like, and, and I get it. It's a, t- there's a, it's a lot of times it's a tough call, so that's why it's tough to understand. But the other one, and, and we all know it as officials. Uh, you know, how many? T- we probably hear more than any other thing at, at night at, at, in a given night uh, is you know over the back and yeah. just the fact that. Number one, there is no there is no rule over the back. There never has been, uh, at least to my knowledge, at least in my 32 years, I've never seen over the back in the rule book. Um, and so I think that that uh, you know, and what's associated with really what that is is probably the misunderstood most misunderstood rule. Okay, so these next two com- uh, questions: uh, no college facilities, because you already talked about some of your bucket list ones. So what what's the toughest facility that you've ever worked a game at? Um, so I would say toughest has got to be, uh, and this is, this is the direction I'm going to go. It's got to be some of the older, and they're not really around anymore. Those older, smaller gyms that had the restraining lines right, and, yeah. you know, and some of them were stages and literally not much space on the one side or you're falling off, you're falling off the stage. <laughs> and so, um, you know, again, I don't even know if they teach restraining line rules anymore, but, um, but just, you know, from the fact that you got such a small court and you're sticking 10, 10 kids in that small area. Um, and then you also have to know the additional responsibility of restraining lines for throw-in and the possibility if it's a stage that you could fall off the stage if you, if you back up too far um, <laughs> on one side. That's, I would say that's, that, that's probably the toughest. Yeah, any or all of those facilities that are still in existence. I know there's, there's still a, a few of them up here in northwest Ohio. What is the best facility that you've ever worked a game? Again, no college. Um... I would say, ooh, well, I would say before Defiance opened their facility, Van Wert's uh, newer facility um, was probably the, the the nicest that I've worked in. Was uh, um, that I really enjoyed working in. But Defiance's is their new facility is is top notch and um, it's fun because it's fairly it's a decent size. I don't know what the capacity is, but the way it's built, it can get really really loud in there. It allows for the echoing and. Um, um, like my, unfortunately, I, that's why I had my district girls game there on Saturday. Um, you know, it would have been a sellout, and the place would have been rocking, and it would have been an awesome environment. And it was, even with what they allowed in, but um, but with what they could have had in there, that that place would have been that would have been just nuts to to officiate in there. Yeah. It would have been a lot of fun. So that's that's defiance is probably my favorite right at the moment. You know, just because of the environment that it can get um, based on how how it was designed. It's quite a facility, I tell you that. It's uh, it's something else, something special, that's for sure. Final question, and uh, normally I have this one as the first question, but we're going to take it as the last question. You know, we're often fed on Friday or Saturday nights or during the week uh, after the games, and, and we definitely appreciate that. But what's some of the uh, more of the, the best food that you've ever had after one of your games at some of these facilities? So I would say... Seneca East probably does it the best. They mm. give you a, like a, um, a menu from a local sub shop, and you can you pick from that what you want, and um, they have it waiting for you when you get back. Wow. Um, you know, after the game, after the game, they have it they have it there for you, and they've always got a cooler full of all kinds of different beverages. So Seneca East does it right. Um, most of the school, most of the schools do a decent job. Um, you know, look as an official, you know we're happy with with whatever we get and um you know a bottle of water a bottle of gatorade i'm fine with i'm happy with um that's that's not the issue we, we don't do it for that we appreciate it for sure um but you know, you know almost all schools almost school all schools do do a great job with that but um if i had to pick one seneca east would be at the at the top of the list just because again you're going to get to choose choose a really good good sandwich from a local sub shop there in that area yeah that's a great spread and that's a good job supporting their local business too so that's very good i like that idea yep. hey john thanks a lot for spending some time with us today on the high school basketball referee podcast with mark fralick i appreciate all of your insight and everything you've been able to offer again thanks a lot for being on the show All right. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate being on. And that closes another episode of the High School Basketball Referee with Mark Fraley podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Until next time, have a great day. Brighten someone's day with a smile and God bless.